It's the Tuesday Tout Edition. We'll talk with BaseballHQ.com Stratomatic expert Matt Beagle next on Baseball HQ Radio. Bonds one home run away from history. And he swings! And there's a long one! Deep in the right center field! Way back there! It's gone! A home run! Into the center field bleachers to the left of the 421 foot marker. An extraordinary shot to the deepest part of the yard. And Barry Bonds, with 756 home runs, he has hit more home runs than anyone who has ever played the game. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 4th. It's show number 13 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we'll be talking with BaseballHQ.com Stratomatic expert Matt Beagle about the new Strato cards and strategies, plus his studs and duds for 2014. We'll also have commentaries from the experts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, in our metric minute, Analyst Ryan Bloomfield talks about dollar values. And in the minor league minute, BaseballHQ.com prospects analyst Rob Gordon talks about St. Louis second baseman Colton Wong. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us on the Tuesday edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Carlos Santana is looking good at third base. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, Indians manager Terry Francona told the Cleveland Plain Dealer this weekend that he's been impressed how well catcher Carlos Santana has looked playing third base. Francona says Santana looks like a third baseman and not a catcher moonlighting at the hot corner. Now all of this was just based on infield drills at camp, and we'll have to see how Santana fares in game action. But for now at least, Santana is looking very much like he could start the year with catcher eligibility but without the catcher workload. Analyst Tom Kephart of BaseballHQ.com has examined the situation, and he notes that Santana is going to get his at-bat somewhere, but if he shows during Cactus League game action that he can handle third base defensively, there are going to be ripples throughout the Tribe lineup. For starters, we'd have to downgrade the playing time potential of left-handed bat Lonnie Chisenhall because he can't hit left-handed pitching, and utility man right-hander Mike Aviles who helped form a reasonably productive second-half platoon in 2013. We also might want to bump up the playing time potential of catcher Jan Gomes, who is pretty good defensively and showed some decent pop last year with 11 homers in just 293 at-bats. There's no need to juggle our lineup for this edition of Baseball HQ Radio because we have a solid veteran leading off. For years, Matt Beagle was our American League beat reporter on the show. Now the last couple of years... Being a dad and a successful businessman have really cut into Matt's time, but we're glad he has stayed active at BaseballHQ.com covering Stratomatic Baseball, where he's also the official video blogger for this very popular game. And we're going to talk about Strato with Matt right now. Matt, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Great to be back, Patrick. Unfortunately, life events have gotten in the way and it's prevented me from doing some of the things I like to do, but I'm back. 
and you're still uh, participating in fantasy baseball at baseballhq.com and elsewhere. I know you're the official video blogger of Stratomatic, and you write about the game at baseballhq.com. And I wanted to talk about Strato in uh, this edition of Baseball HQ Radio because it's kind of the granddaddy of them all. And from talking with you over the years, I know you really love the game. So before we talk about the game, how long have you been playing it? Well, I've been playing since 1975. I was about 10 when I got my first game. And I didn't like it because Pete Rose wasn't a good stealer. And I thought, well, geez, he's not fast, but he really hustles. This can't be a good game. And I picked it up a couple years later and have been addicted ever since. And what got you started in the first place? Did somebody buy the game for you, or had you heard about it? Actually, I was a big baseball card collector and used to put my players in their own teams. And I was looking for a more realistic replay rather than me throwing a rubber ball against the wall all day and determining who gets sent up and sent down. So I was looking for something more realistic and read through all the big games of the time, Sherco Stimulation, APBA, APBA, which is still around and still thriving. Uh, but I liked Stratomatic the best because it was easy to play for a kid but had a lot of advanced features for the more advanced gamer. For listeners who aren't familiar with Strato at all, perhaps you could highlight the major differences between how Strato is played and the more common forms of fantasy like rotisserie, points leagues, and so on. Well, the biggest difference is you're the manager. You actually play the games. Score sheet's another very popular game where you set the lineup and someone else plays the game. With Stratomatic, you're the manager. You make the lineup. You determine when there's a pinch hitter or a reliever, when to steal, hit and run, who I'm going to platoon. So that's the, the first thing is you get to manage the team. The second is it incorporates fielding. The big thing that we really can't quantify in rotisserie is understanding how valuable Andrelton Simmons is because of his glove. Or even Danny Hecaveria for the Marlins is a very valuable player defensively. So even though he didn't hit much and wouldn't be a fantasy person in rotisserie, he does have value in stratomatic. Uh, they look at range of the player and their error frequency. And you also get to have base running ratings. So someone may not be a good stealer, as the Pete Rose example, but was actually an excellent base runner taking the extra base. Finally, it uses last year's statistics. 2013 season was just released. Um, so pitching is a known quantity. So at Baseball HQ, we talk about the risk of pitching, both in injury and performance. When you're using 2013 statistics, pitching is a known quantity. So it's as important, if not more important, than hitting, just like in real life. Well, everybody I know who plays Strato or any of these kind of sim games say that they are the best fantasy format. What is it about these games that you personally like so much? I like the fact that it incorporates more of the game, like the fielding. And there's a lot of thinking. You can really see the platoon splits clearly. So uh, whereas a left-handed batter saying Andre Ethier in rotisserie, He's valuable for the games he plays. But in Stratomatic, you know that you can bring a left-handed reliever in to shut him down. Or there's some guys who have reverse splits, right-handers who are uh, worse against right-handers and lefties who are worse against lefties. So you really can delve in and have unique matchups, and it makes it much more strategic when you play a game as to matching up the, the late-game hitter versus batter situations and doing much more of the managing game-wise in addition to the GM side that we all like so much with rotisserie or points leagues. So you get to be the general manager during your player acquisition process, and then you revert to being the manager making tactical decisions at the game level. And you mentioned as an example that you can decide, for instance, uh, whether to run or not run with a runner on base. I suppose there's pitch outs and, and those kind of things to cut down on, on runners, slide steps, and what have you. But if you're doing this on a pitch-by-pitch basis, 
it seems to create a perception that this is going to take an awful long time to play even a single game, much less 162 of them. Is that still the case, and how do you manage all that time commitment? Well, it goes batter by batter instead of pitch by pitch, so that's one thing that does reduce the time. And the dice game still probably takes 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, As you get used to it, you can play a game in 15 or 20 minutes. When you're first starting, it might take 30 to 40 minutes. They have basic versions of the games for kids that my kids play, um, and they have the more advanced for the adults. But the great thing is the computer game. Back in the 70s, you used to have to do all your own stats. In games leagues I played in the 80s, you have to hand tabulate all your stats. Now you can do a computer game in five or ten minutes. It prints out a box score for you. It tabulates all the stats, does league leaders. It does everything for you. So you can just set your lineups and play a whole season uh, automatically by computer. Just set lineups and your tendencies, how you want your bullpen managed, who you want to be your pinch hitter or your pinch runner. And you can really run through a whole season in 10 or 15 minutes to see if that's a good lineup or how good your team is versus the league. Or you can manually play batter by bladder to really enjoy the strategy. And then even then, 10, 15 minutes at the most. So it really is not that much of a difference in time commitment. The real difference is that you have to play the games. So if I play, oh, five series a week, or I'm sorry, a month, maybe that's a couple hours. Most of the time is really the GM trading that you would do with your Roto League and draft prep, which is just like your rotisserie draft. So it's really not that much more time. And usually most leagues give you four to six weeks to play your game, so you can pick the two- or three-hour time frame at which you want to play the games. If it only takes that long, can you play multiple seasons during a given baseball season? Uh, Sure you could. I'm in multiple leagues. I'm actually in some retro leagues. They have seasons going all the way back to the Negro Leagues in the 1800s. I like to do some of the 1970s retro leagues. It was a different game back then, but they're guys I grew up watching. So, yeah, you can do different seasons and different leagues all the time, and the game has a very easy management system to keep track of each different league and how they're doing throughout the season. Matt, if we stay just with uh, the, the, your personal experience playing what we'll call standard strato, not going back into the Babe Ruth times or anything like that, who's the most dominant player card you ever saw in, uh, in the time you've played the game? Well, well, Barry Bonds in his prime obviously was, was very dominant, and Stratomatic taught you at an early age how important on-base was. It's not something baseball people talked about, but when you looked at a Stratomatic card, you could see all the walks, and you knew that they were not outs. So that was always something Stratomatic players did long before the majors really looked at on-base percentage. So Barry Bonds in his prime had all those walks, some of those dominant cards. One of the more interesting ones, I remember when Dave Valley came up with the Seattle Mariners as a catcher, he had like 76 amazing at-bats. He had power, he hit 340, and that was an amazing card for leagues who would allow you to use that more than just his 75 at-bats. Most leagues now have restrictions where you have to try to keep uh, a normal usage pattern to what he was used in that year. Yeah, that makes sense. A guy comes up for a cup of coffee and has 20 at-bats and hits 700. be a mighty valuable guy to have for 162 games if you could keep up that pace. Exactly. And what you do see is you see small sample sizes against left-handers. So you get a lot of guys who maybe only hit 200, but they might have hit 300 against lefties, and you can platoon them. And most of the time they do that as it would happen in real life. It's just that you can really exploit it in Stratomatic. That's one of the fun things is to see, well, the player looked like he had a bad year, but, boy, he really hit left-handers well, so at least I can use him in that manner. That's one of the fun things in Stratomatic is finding uses for guys that maybe not ordinarily you wouldn't think would be very useful, especially in rotisserie or in a large, uh, a shallow league format. 
And you mentioned that it's uh, much safer to draft and uh, hold a pitcher because you know exactly whether he's going to get hurt or did get hurt in the preceding year or whether he had 210 real good innings. Uh, I imagine Clayton Kershaw's owner in your league is going to be pretty happy about 2013 uh, when he start, comes time to play this year. But who's the most dominant pitcher you ever saw? Uh, most dominant pitcher, Nolan Ryan in his prime, even when he wasn't um, great, he always had a great card. Sid Fernandez used to have some fantastic cards because, again, it was what we know now as whip. And back then it was looking for the least amount of, of rolls on the card that were good for the batter. So Sid Fernandez had a great card. I remember Bill Landrum having a really good card. Dennis Eckersley in his prime had some excellent cards. Uh, Keith Folk, his second year in the league, had an amazing card, and he was allowed to go. Pitchers actually get tired, so you got to decide when to relieve them. And he had a rating. He was using long relief that year, so he could go three innings before he would get tired unless he gave up three runs. So he had not only had a great card, but you could use him uh, for such long distances, almost like the 70s relievers. Um, he was so effective that year. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Matt Beagle of BaseballHQ.com and Stratomatic official video blogger, and we're talking about Stratomatic. And you mentioned, Matt, that the new Strato cards came out recently for the 2014 season. But as you said, these are 2013's actual performances are the basis of the cards, not projections. So how does the draft work? Uh, the draft works that you basically get all guys who were rookies in 2013, each league is a little bit different, but a typical uh, thing would be you have to have 50 at-bats and 30 innings pitched. If you didn't have that, uh, they wouldn't let you be drafted the year before, so you're now in the draft pool. So this year's draft pool, Jose Fernandez is usually the first pick. Will Myers or Yasiel Puig, whichever one you prefer, is the second pick. Um, Myers, I think, is going a little bit higher because Puig made a lot of errors and isn't quite as good of a fielder. So, again, fielding rating comes into this a lot. And the fourth and fifth picks are usually Garrett Cole and Xander Bogarts, maybe Jerks and Profar if, he was, if his league uh, didn't have him active last year. And then uh, it sounds like the draft can't take very long to complete then, because so you're coming into it with, a, with uh, a keeper list, as it were, of guys, so you're basically just filling in, what, a couple of rounds? Uh, yeah, most leagues have a keeper list. So most of the drafts are usually eight to ten rounds. There's plenty of, of rookies around, and you have guys from last year who got hurt or disappointed. Uh, so most of the drafts are eight to ten rounds, and that still takes three or four hours. Guys like to take their time and trade during the draft, trade their picks around to try to position themselves to get the ideal guy that fits their team because it is mostly a keeper league in these. Uh, I actually want to start one that's not, but most leagues are keeper leagues right now, and that gives you a nucleus as you're usually trying to add to that nucleus, and you're quite often rebuilding or going for the playoffs, so you're looking to add young talent or go for the playoffs. If you're going to go for the playoffs, usually the draft is a hard place to build. You usually want to trade your picks to try to get current guys that you know will be good because the draft only offers so many cards normally that are really usable this year. The current draft set is a very deep, deep draft in talent, especially uh, starting pitchers, so it may not be quite as true this year as in the past, but there's a huge depth of talent this year for rebuilding teams I mean, Kevin Gosman is going 35th. I mean, for a rookie that was the number, arguably the top pitching rookie other than Jose Fernandez last year, going into 2013 series season. Um, you know, there's a lot of depth of pitchers. Carlos Martinez is going middle of the second round. So there's a lot of depth out there in this year's draft pool to for rebuilding teams. 
you mentioned that you'd like to start a league or participate in a league where it was a redraft league every season so that you could ha- have your pick of anybody uh, be a, obviously a longer draft but uh, I'm curious who who if you had first pick in a draft that was a brand new strato league you could take any major league player you want based on 2013 production how would you start a, a strato team for the 2014 season Wow, that's a tough question. Um, obviously, Kershaw would be one guy because he's still so young. Um, an- another guy, he probably might top it, but Freddie Freeman's only 24. Whether you're doing rotisserie or stratomatic, I mean, he's already got three proven seasons growing each season. He's still only 24 years old. I think Giancarlo Stanton, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, well, but obviously Mike Trout is the youngest and best. He gets the top fielding rating in center field. He walks a lot, and he does have power. So I think Trout would be the guy that you'd want to start with. Your most recent column was about the release of the 2014 cards. So before we talk about individual players anymore, let's start with the big picture. Trends in 2013 that might have affected the card set, player values, and how you're going to play the game this year. Well, I think there's less power, so the ones that do have power are going to be more valuable. And even though pitching was better, there weren't really that many great starting pitchers other than the typical handful. So what you see is a lot more depth in relievers and that the relief pitchers who were good were really good. And in Stratomatic, they have to skew the cards because if you think about how they actually generated the game, half the time it's based on the hitter's performance, half the time based on the pitcher. So if you have a great ratio guy like Craig Kimbrell, Greg Holland, Joe Nathan, one of those guys, right, to make their – actual number work out to be even, you have to make them incredibly good because you know half the time they can't control the outcome. So to get that actual performance correct, they have to skew the extreme performances and make those cars unbelievably good. Uh, and at the same token with a hitter, if you're, they rate you based on average. It's almost a runs against replacement theory. If you're much better than average, they have to skew your card even better to make sure that when you're going up against the pitcher and you average those outcomes, that it comes out to be basically what you actually performed that year. So there's some really killer relievers, and always per out, relievers are more valuable than starters. They're cheaper, but per out, they're better. So a great way to quickly build a winning stratomatic team is to build a deep bullpen. Again, strat managers were doing this 20 years ago before the majors really valued the setup man. But in Stratomatic, when you get guys like Koji Uehara and Kenley Jansen, Casey Jansen, in addition to the ones I mentioned earlier, all have amazing ratio cards. Uh, there aren't as many great middle relievers. There's lots of good middle relievers this year. But historically, I mentioned the Keith Folk card. Historically, there's also some good middle relievers. It just seems like most of those guys got promoted to closer in the last couple of years. So the great cards are closer cards, but there are probably 40 relievers who are as good as the sixth best starting pitcher. So it's a great way, and relievers usually slide in the draft because there's so many of them, so you can really get competitive quickly by building on starting uh, relief pitchers because they come so inexpensively. But as you said before, you're not allowed to take a guy with a fantastic whip card in 65 2013 innings and run him out there for 225 innings in in the 2014 season because that just wouldn't be fair. But I remember, Matt, talking with you about Stratomatic a couple of years ago, and you said one of the things you really liked about the tactics in the game was that you weren't 
married to using a major league closer as your closer in Strato. Have they changed that? I remember you talked about uh, that they were looking at changing it so that closers were likelier to be better in save situations than set-up guys despite exactly equal real skills. How have they handled that, and what impact has it had on the way that you tactically play the game in that regard? Well, now they they do have a closer rating, and basically if a pitcher gets tired – uh, that means that they add more hit chances to their card. So maybe they're going to be instead of a pitcher who gives an opponent batting average of 220, maybe it's like 330 now. There's a significant difference as he gets tired, and the more tired he gets, the worse he gets. So it incentivizes you as a manager to remove that pitcher when he's fatigued. Uh, they've added a closer rating, and it actually comes into account not based on the save rule. It's based on the tying run being at the plate. And you can get so many outs, uh, every time you get an out, it lowers your rating. And once you get to a certain point, if you give up three runs or you give up three hits in a row, depending on your closer rating, you could be tired. So what they've done is when it's a one-run game or man on first and they're down by two, those trigger the closing rating. And if you don't have a closer in there, that pitcher's immediately tired. So they're much worse than they were uh, previous to being fatigued. So they do reward closers, but if you have a three-run lead and nobody on, it really doesn't matter who you pitch. So they've done a factor for closers, but it's only in the really tight games as opposed to a save situation as we know it in Major League Baseball. It's a really good addition, actually. Do you think, because when I hear you talk about it, it seems to me like they're bowing, if you will, to the decisions that are being made by managers who put guys into be quote, closers, despite often better alternatives in their own bullpens. And certainly in many situations you have, again, so-called closers who aren't as skilled as setup men on other teams. And it seems to me that it was probably better and more realistic, at least as far as the tactics are concerned, the way you used to be able to play it, according to what I remember from you telling me, which was that if you had a really tremendous middle relief guy in the major leagues but who had great skills you could use him as your closer if you wanted because it was his ability to get guys out that mattered not the role that ron washington put him in in texas well it's a great debate both in real baseball and fantasy baseball or stratomatic is can that middle reliever do the same thing in the ninth inning with the pressure on that he did in the seventh or eighth and we see teams struggle with that all the time by signing closers with experience to back up right uh Andrew Bailey's going to be signed by the Yankees to back up David Robertson in case he can't handle the job. Now, Bailey's not going to be in, but that's the type of signings you see John Axford going to the Indians. Uh, that way, if Cody Allen's not ready, they have a proven closer there. So there is some merit to a guy who's done it before, and I think you can debate it. You can turn that feature off if you don't want to use the closer rating, but generally most of the leagues use it, and I think it's based on realism. I know in our leagues we get in debate sometimes is this supposed to be realistic and mirror Major League Baseball, or is this supposed to be our own fantasy? Uh, so if it should you know, mirror Major League Baseball, you could argue guys with very few at-bats should be eligible for the playoffs because, hey, in the playoffs you have these unsung heroes that come through that you never heard of. Marty Bystrom is my favorite from the Phillies back in the 80s. Right? Never did anything, came up in September, and was a playoff hero. That's realistic. But in stratomatic realism, most people say we want them used similar to the way they were used uh, with pitching roles, but we like the ability to – we want the, the best guys who played all season are the ones in the playoffs. And each league debates that and does their own version of it. But it's a great philosophical argument that you can have as to 
Do you want it to be realistic to the game, how it should be used to maximize your game playing, or do you want it to be realistic to the majors? And there's different levels that each league uh, adheres to. We had one debate one year. I was rebuilding, so I didn't want a lot of relievers. I left my starters in the game for a long time because they're generally more valuable if you have a good one. And the uh, league said, well, that's not realistic to let your starter in for eight or nine innings and give up 15 runs because that's that wouldn't happen in real life. So there's always that that line to be crossed. Where are we being realistic and where are we being fantasy and using the game? Uh, there's always nuances of the game that you can utilize to try to work to your advantage, but yet you also want to try to stay pretty realistic to the actual game that it's based on, the, the Major League Baseball game. It is an interesting debate, but I always thought that one of the attractions of it, based on what you told me and other friends of mine who play Strato, is that... As you said earlier, uh, a Stratomatic League can be a real laboratory for experimenting with the kinds of ideas that eventually smarter guys in the major leagues do figure out. Like, it's fairly common now that uh, stat heads and whatever you want to call them, stat geeks like us, realize that if you've got a lights-out closer, a guy who's guaranteed three up, three down, he's a lot better off from a wins perspective coming in in the seventh with the bases loaded and nobody out than coming in in the ninth with a three-run lead and nobody, and, and nobody out. And we all know this, and Strato, if it was being played just based on skill, would allow you to test the theory, and I think you'd probably do pretty well uh, in, in, in winning actual games. Now, you can use that closer any time that you want. I have several teams that have multiple closers on them, uh, and I do use them often in those seventh-inning high-leverage situations. Uh, what it does on the back end is if you're in a one-run game, then you don't, if you don't have another closer rating, your pitcher will be worse. They're going to basically succumb to the pressure a little bit uh, because they've not been proven in that rule. And it's one of their optional features that you can use. Most leagues opt to use it because they like the fact that closers are closers. One of my leagues actually mandates that you have a minimum closer rating on your team to ensure that there's a closer and you're not going to intentionally lose games late in the game by putting a non-closer in. But it's one of the many nuances that make the game fun is that you can decide exactly how you want to play it, uh, under which rules, and, and those kinds of debates can be as fun as the game itself sometimes. Yeah, it's all interesting, that's for sure, and anything that gets us talking about baseball is for the better. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Matt Beagle, strato expert from BaseballHQ.com and other places. And Matt, you mentioned Jose Fernandez is pretty commonly the top pick overall. What other pitchers are getting uh, top picks based on their 2013 rookie performance? Well, you're going to know their names. Uh, Matt Harvey, obviously Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer. One guy who doesn't get a lot of, of accolades is Clay Buckholtz, and he only pitched half the season. But he really had an amazing year on a, a statistical basis when you look at whip or opposing slugging percentage. He only had 100 innings, so in some uh, leagues, he can only be used half the season or two-thirds of the season, but his stats are almost as good as those other big-name pitchers. Why is Clayton Kershaw a draftable pitcher? Surely he's on somebody's roster. In the draft or in the regular season? Uh, I meant in, in when you're looking at guys who are being drafted. Oh, okay. You guys are being drafted. Jose Fernandez, Garrett Cole are the top ones being drafted right now uh, for their future as much as their current cards. Taiwan Walker, if he's eligible, Goes very highly. Zach Wheeler, Michael Waka. Um, Tyson Ross is a sleeper towards the end of the first round. Had a very good year last year, quietly. Um, so he also is another good pitcher in the draft. 
And how about among relievers? Uh, any any cards jumping up uh, near the top of the first, second, third round? It's interesting. There's usually a couple breakout closers, and this year there really weren't. Uh, if he's in your league, Trevor Rosenthal goes in the middle of the first round usually, has a good closer card. He gives up some homers against righties, I believe. So it's not quite as good of a card as sometimes you – there's usually one or two guys that just come from out of the blue. Uh, Rosenthal is really it's – it's a shortage in the draft of closers this year. Danny Farquhar is out there, but he's uh, actually an opposite righty. He gets lefties out a lot better than right-handers, so he tends to slip down to the end of the second round, early third round. And, of course, he lost the job, uh, it seems, to Fernando Rodney uh, in a – Curious decision by the Mariners. Uh, let's go around the diamond, Matt. Talk about draft guys or or even regular players who are already rostered. But you might want to look at as trade targets because of their value. And let's start behind the plate. Who are the who are the top guys at catcher? Top catchers are the names you'd know: Mauer, Posey. Uh, an interesting guy in Stratomatic is Dionair Navarro because he had some of the best power of any of the top five catchers. Uh, he did a great job. Again, only played half the season. But he, he's a stud in Stratomatic cards this year because on a per-at-bat basis, he had a fantastic year. And then Yadier Molina has a great arm to shut down the running game, which is important in Stratomatic that you wouldn't use in rotisserie. And Jan Gomes of the Indians, same way. You wouldn't know that he had his arm just about as strong as Molina to keep opposing runners from advancing. Has Stratomatic managed to figure out a way to incorporate pitch framing and, and those other receiving skills that make some catchers so much more valuable in real baseball than they are in uh, offense-only rotisserie-style scoring? No, they have not gotten into that much detail on it. They do pass ball frequency. They do uh, throwing air frequency, again, preventing the running game, and actually errors on fielding balls, but they do not do the framing of the pitches. Do you think they will? I don't know. At some point... They keep adding things that surprise me. At some point, uh, once we get some good metrics to measure that and they can incorporate that, maybe there would be something on the, the pitcher's card that would catch, check the catcher's rating and ability to frame the, the pitch, sort of like their clutch hitting rating. Well, if you're going to measure clutch hitting, which doesn't exist, you should be able to measure framing pitches, which does. Uh, how about first base? First base, uh, your typical guys are the ones there. Uh, there wasn't a lot of first basemen in the draft this year. So that was interesting. So you really have to go with existing first baseman. Um, Albert Pujols, of course, had an off year, which really stunted the pool. You can put Big Poppy out there in first base if you want. He's got a horrible fielding rating, but doesn't you know come up that much. They're basically looking at those situations where you know it was a tough ground ball. Would this person make the play? And if it's at all challenging, Ortiz won't make the play. But you can actually put him there uh, if your league rules allow. Chris Davis, of course, had a monster year, but seeing Stratomatic, he's not quite as effective because you can make him much more human against lefties by bringing a left-handed pitcher in. That limits his effectiveness. Over at second base? Robinson Cano is by far and away the best because of his uh, great defense. So not only does he have power and uh, batting average, but he also has great defense, doesn't make many errors, has the top range rating, so he's fantastic. Uh, ben Zobris is interesting there. He's got a great defensive rating. And Dustin Pedroia is a very good roto player, but also in Stratomatic because he does have great defense. Scooter Gannett is the draft pick there who actually did very well against right-handers for 213 at-bats, but he can't do anything against lefties. So uh, Jordy Mercer is a good platoon mate maybe with him in the draft who crushes lefties uh, at second base. How about at the hot corner? At the hot corner, you have, just like Roto, you have that uh, – definite 
gap there. You have Miguel Cabrera, who's fantastic, but in Stratomatic, not nearly as good as, say, a Mike Trout, the big debate, because he doesn't have a very good fielding rating. Um, Josh Donaldson, Adrian Beltre. Beltre's got an excellent fielding rating, as is Evan Longoria and David Wright. And there's a big drop-off after those first five guys. Any new guys? Manny Machado was probably on a team the previous year, so he wouldn't be a rookie. Uh, other than that, it was a, a weaker spot unless you did. Well, Nolan Arenado has a gold glove defensive rating. Isn't a great hitter. But Stratomatic uses ballpark effects, so the fact that he plays in a hitter-friendly environment of Colorado is going to detract from his uh, non-adjusted statistics. Uh, so he would probably be the top third baseman out there. Uh, Anthony Rendon from the Nationals uh, can do second base, and he can actually play third base. He's not very good defensively, but in the long run, there's a debate whether he may eventually end up be going over there. So those would be the top guys in the draft at those positions. You mentioned ballpark effects. When you play your uh, simulated games, uh, do you play them in, in actual parks? Do you, do you adopt a, a park as well as players, or do you get to set up a, a park, Matt Beagle Stadium, uh, and, uh, and set the dimensions to your own uh, uh, desires? Each league is different. Some leagues let you design your own park that can have you know, the shortest fences you've ever seen and lots of extra hits because there's no foul territory, or the opposite, have your fences so far out that it's very difficult to hit home runs. Uh, basically, the maximum ballpark effect would be about 8% on homers or singles, so it's not going to affect every home run. There's going to be plenty of home runs that aren't dependent on the ballpark, but it just there's an 8% roughly tweak up or down with the ballpark factors. So each league is different. Some let you design your own. Some put limits. They have to be within certain limits. And others let you select an actual major league park. And those factors actually change each year a little bit uh, to reflect the weather in that city and how easy it was that year for home runs to be hit out. Continuing around the horn, how about a shortstop situation? Well, Troy Tulowitzki not only has power, but he's got gold glove defense. And this was probably one of the biggest years in Stratomag's history for gold glove defense ratings. I think there's 10 guys at shortstops that have the top rating. That's very unusual. Uh, somebody you wouldn't know would be Danny Hecaveria. Didi Gregorius got the top rating. Uh, Jose Iglesias. So there were a lot of uh, guys who got the top fielding rating and are very effective in the shortstop. Iglesias is available in some drafts. Gregorius is usually out there. He's one of the top shortstops picked. Uh, Brad Miller is a young guy for Seattle that could be out there in your draft. And Jerickson Profar does have a rating at shortstop. It's a pretty good one. So he's also out there in some of the drafts. Now, I know another difference between uh, Strato and those kind of games versus Roto and points leagues is that, for the most part, rotisserie-style play does not differentiate between left center and right fielders, but Strato and those type of games do. So let's look at the left fielders. Left fielders, well, Shinshu Chu's on-base percentage is amazing. He gets on base almost 60% of the time against right-handers. Again, though, you can bring in lefties, just like real life, to try to make him much more human. Carlos Gonzalez gets a top rating there as well. And Starling Marte is probably a big up-and-comer. he got a, a top fielding rating. He's got blazing speed, and he gets on base pretty well. If he can start to hit right-handers a little bit better, he'll really be a force. Uh, as far as draft-wise... Stratomatic has gotten much more uh, easy to switch guys around the outfield. Most leagues allow you to move them around, and there was nobody really who was technically just a left fielder that was really that big in the draft uh, that I see. Um, uh, Davis from Milwaukee might get a shot. He only had 136 at-bats, so he was usually like a second-round pick. He'd probably be the best. Charlie Blackman, uh, maybe, going for the future. How about in center field, the uh, linchpin of the outfield defense? 
Yeah, you do see a lot of top ratings here because usually center field's a very defensive position, so the best outfielders are there. Um, Mike Trout, of course, setting the standard at the position. Christian Yelich uh, could play some center, but he's probably going to end up playing left for the um, Marlins this year. But he was out there, a top 10 pick in the rookie draft, and uh, he was really the main guy there. There weren't as many center fielders in this year's draft as in the past. Marcelo Zuna actually is going to play some center for Miami, and I think he's a real hidden talent. He had a lot of power in the minors and has not hit for power in the majors. So when you look at his Stratomatic card, there's not much power there. But in the future, when you look at his minor league numbers, there's power coming. Speaking of power, right field is often a source of power. How about in Strato? Same thing. Uh, Yasiel Puig is obviously the best guy there. Will Myers we talked about. They're not only the best for the rookies coming out, but Puig is probably the best right fielder out there. Lots of power. Uh, his big arm in right field to keep runners from advancing on him. Jason Worth very quietly had a, a big year last year for the Nationals. He did get hurt there a little bit, but per at bat, he had an excellent year both with on-base and power as that power returned. Do you play with designated hitters, and if so, are there any that are worth having? It depends. Uh, most leagues do use a DH because it makes it a lot easier, uh, but there are lots of leagues who still use National League rules and where you do have to have the pitcher hit. Uh, obviously, David Ortiz, Big Poppy, is the best designated hitter there. has a great card. can be limited a little bit by a left-handed pitcher, as in real life, but uh, still has a very big card. And overall, Matt, uh, usually we can say when we're looking at roto teams, you want to have a balanced team and so forth. But what kind of team is going to be successful this year in Stratomatic based on the trends that you've identified and the player availability and so forth? I think if you can get power hitters, uh, the joke in Stratomatic is that you want walks and homers. Walks and homers, get guys on base and then have the big hitters, the old Earl Weaver philosophy, and that still holds true. Um, I always like power hitters with a great bullpen so that when the game's close, I can shut you down. I like a good, deep bullpen. I'll take the mediocre starters because once I get past the fifth inning, I can bring in a great bullpen and shut you down. And I think this year there aren't that many great starters for you to build a whole rotation on anyway. So I think that formula is going to work this year more than ever. Do you have to have a 25-man roster, or is it deeper than that? Usually you have a 25-man active roster, and most teams have between 32 and 40-man rosters that they can draw up to keep the usage correct because a lot of times you have some guys who can't go the whole year, so you'll have split, uh, split time either on a platoon basis or we'll play one guy for the first half of the year or another guy the second half of the year uh, to make sure they usually try to have limitations that are about equal to your at-bats and your innings pitched. When you uh, talk about bringing in your relievers very aggressively, especially to play those platoon matchups that you mentioned, uh, a typical middle reliever in baseball is around 70 innings. Is that also the case on your straddle roster? Yeah, usually there's about a 10% uh, window of opportunity to let you go over by about 10% of their innings. Uh, And after that, there's some kind of penalty. You lose the player to free agency the next year, or they can't be eligible for the playoffs or something like that. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Matt Beagle talking about Stratomatic. And Matt, while you are officially a Strato guy, I know you know your way around other game formats as well. Uh, I was watching last year. You had a pretty good run in the NFBC main event. How did you end up finishing? I was actually on the on, in the online uh, event, and I ended up 18th. I was at the top there in May for a while, and then I had a, a summer swoon and came back strong in September to finish 18th. So a little disappointing after being in the top 10 for a while, but... 
overall, considering I was very pleased with that performance. I'm assuming that's the team you wanted to ask about, not the other one that didn't do as well. Yeah, that's right. I remember that uh, the the fact that you were in the top ten was all the rage on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums where people were asking, is, is that our Matt Beagle who's up there? And, of course, that made everybody real interested. It's really tough, isn't it? I mean, 18th place sounds, uh, you know, meh, but in actual fact, given the number of players, that's a pretty good finish. Yeah, I think there was 1,200 players or something like that in it. So, overall, very, very excited to to do that. And as we know, there's a lot of luck involved. And in, in my case, I didn't take the high-risk players. I actually took the veterans with upside, the Jason Worths, the Hunter Pences, that I thought it was much better to take guys who were undervalued because they're older and expect a 10% improvement in performance instead of trying to take Bryce Harper with a sixth pick and expect him to do something he's never done before. Will you be playing any rotisserie point-style leagues this year? Uh, I have a regular points league that I do, and I have done some NFBC draft champion leagues. I'm probably going to do the online challenge later, but uh, I have done some of the draft champion leagues. I've been there right now. I've done one from the beginning, one from the middle, one from the end. I did write an article on BaseballHQ.com about different draft positions and having a plan for your draft uh, using ADPs just to give you an idea where you might be going. And so, uh, yes, I have been doing that. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad you said that because before the season, we always ask our expert guests for some studs and duds for the coming year. And since you've given us the scoop on Strato, I was hoping we'd be able to focus on rotisserie point style to talk about our studs and duds. And let's start with the studs. Uh, How about a hitter in the American League you think is going to be underrated and a good get? Uh, I think Carlos Beltran, moving to that hitter-friendly environment with the Yankees, is going to have an opportunity to drive in a lot of runs. He's got a short right field porch. Uh, he's been very undervalued, going lasting into about the seventh round in some leagues, and I think he's going to should go much earlier than that. Of course, the knock on him is injury risk, but he's actually done fairly well in that regard the last couple of years. Maybe put some people's minds at rest. How about a National League hitter who's going to be a stud this year? Uh, this is going to be a name no one else is going to say. I'm going to say Aramis Ramirez because he lasts till the I think his ADP right now is number one fifty five. If this guy is healthy, I mean, he's very productive every year. And again, I'd rather take that injury risk because I can always find someone to plug in for those at bats that they miss. But I want someone who does a lot on a per at bat basis. I guess it's the stratomatic in me. And Ramirez is, is, has great production the last couple of years when healthy and is just not getting any kind of love at all, being pushed way down the draft pool. It's an interesting point, isn't it? If you find a guy who has really good per-at-bat performance and the only obstacle to getting good overall performance is playing time, then really what you're betting is Aramis Ramirez stays healthy. And there's, you know, there's reason to believe he won't, but there's also reason to believe that it's possible. It's not like he's never done it before. How about moving to pitchers, an American League pitcher you think is underrated a good buy? I think David Price, he's lasting into the fourth round, middle to end of the fourth round. And he's got ace stuff. He just got a little unlucky last year, but all of his BPIs look fantastic. Yeah, I had him in my uh, Tout Wars draft last year. That's maybe may been the source of the luck or uh, maybe the uh, result of my team not doing as well as I'd hoped. Uh, how about a National League pitcher? And if you say Cole Hamels, he was on my team too. <laughs> well, Cole Hamels' shoulders got me a little spooked because he had some issues last year as well. Uh, and he actually, I had noted him in my article as being a good value in the fifth round, but now, with his injury, I'm a little skeptical of that. I mean, I don't mind taking chances on guys later, like Ramirez in the 10th, as opposed to early. I think Chris Medlin has got great BPIs, is lasting till the 8th round in a lot of drafts, would be a great value pick in the National League. All right, uh, so let's go on to your duds. How about an American League du- uh, hitter that is going to be overdrafted? 
Oh, HQ may not agree with me judging by the custom draft guy, but uh, Alex Rios is just so inconsistent to me. Uh, I just don't know what to expect from him. Uh, yes, he could keep stealing bases, and that's his main weapon, but he's just been so up and down in his career. He doesn't have great plate discipline. I just just scares me. He's going top of the second round, and I just can't put my money on him there. Yeah, nice power in that park, though. You know, one of those all-around guys, but you're right, he has been pretty inconsistent over the years with that odd, even pattern, which I think he broke last year. Uh, National League hitter? Uh, I think Bryce Harper is the most overrated player in the league. I've thought that every year. He has never performed at a top level, and every year, every draft, there's someone that's going to take him in the first round. Wouldn't you rather have Giancarlo Stanton around later, who's already proven he can hit 37 home runs in a year, and has hit 30 home runs other than that as well? Yeah, you make a good argument. I, I don't see Bryce Harper up there either, except that everybody thinks that at some point he's going to be great, and they want to be in on it the year that he has that breakout. And I wonder if partially this is because at the end of the year, if your team doesn't do so well, you can say, yeah, but at least I was the guy who picked Bryce Harper in his breakout year. I don't know, (laughs) a little bit of uh, ego massage at the end of the season or something like that. Uh, Also, there are a lot of fantasy owners, Matt, who just like gambling on things like that. Well, you definitely have to take upside, and I've going through an NFBC draft right now and, and passed up a more sure thing than Carlos Gomez for Giancarlo Stanton because to win, to place big, you have to have some real breakthrough guys. And I think it's more likely that Stanton has 50 homers. Uh, you know, someone who has 50 homer potential is worth more uh, than someone who's going to just get you 25 and, and maybe 40 again. And if Gomez's average goes down, he's still a good player, but... You do have to look for the upside in some of these national contests in particular. So I understand going for the upside. It's just when you're doing it. I'm not going to pass up a proven guy uh, for just raw upside. I want someone who's done it before. I agree with you, and I think it's a fairly common tactical approach to say, listen, in those first three rounds, I can't afford to bid on maybe there's an upside. I'm going to try to find those guys in rounds you know, 6 through 14 or whatever before I really start gambling at the end. Staying with our duds, Matt, how about a pitcher in the American League you think is going to be overpriced? I think you Darvish. He's going in the first round in a lot of leagues, and even though he's good, he started to break down a little bit last year, gave up some home runs. I think he's a very good pitcher. But I don't think he's that much better than an Adam Wainwright or David Price or Justin Verlander to justify going at the end of the first round or early second round. And finally, a National League pitcher that you also think is overpriced. Steven Strasburg. Between him and Bryce Harper, they drive me nuts to watch guys jump on them. Now, this year they're only taking them in the early second round instead of in the first round like they did last year and got burnt. And, you know, until he proves he can throw the innings, uh, I, I want to see this guy do it. I, you can't take these risks that early in the draft. You have to let them slide, in my opinion. Uh, I wouldn't take a pitcher that early, but if I did, I don't think I would take Strasburg. I'd r- much rather go for Wainwright or Felix Hernandez or Verla- someone who's done it before. Matt, I mentioned that you cover Stratomatic for BaseballHQ.com. You're the official video blogger of Stratomatic. Do you have anything coming up on either of those uh, channels? Uh, well, my Stratomatic's done for HQ for a while. They, they just did just release their online game. It's a version using a salary cap where you just set the lineups and the computer plays three games every night for you, so it's a, not as much of a time commitment. I'll be rating those uh, salaries, the salary cap game, so I'll be talking about great values there, um, but that probably won't be for a couple months as I'll be doing my points league draft guide at the end of the month and be doing a, another article here on the site on the NFBC 
uh, ratings. They have a rating system there that they use that mo- many people don't even look at. And we're going to talk about how much a player is up or down against value and can we find some hidden gems uh, when we look at the past history of the competition as opposed to looking forward to our projections. And Matt, where else can HQ Radio listeners find more from Matt Beagle? Well, I'm not very good on the social media. As my family life's gotten busier here at home, I haven't done the same things that I have in the past. My Stratomatic, I have a series of Stratomatic uh, how to play and management tips on YouTube. It's Stratomatic Strategy, or it's called Stratomatic Strategy on YouTube. And um, I'm going to be at First Pitch New York, Saturday, March 8th. I'm there every year to talk to people. Uh, that's always a lot of fun. So those are the two places you can probably find me. And what's your pre- presentation about at First Pitch New York? I'm going to be doing some of the debates on projections. Should we go for the high projection or the low projection on some of the questionable players? And before I let you go, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's the World Series American League and National League representatives, and who's the winner? I'm going to, I was on the Nationals a couple years ago when nobody else was. I picked them to win the division, and they did. And as much as I dislike the prices of Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg, I think the depth of pitching that franchise has by adding Doug Fister and the depth they have in their lineup, I think the Nationals win it over the Tampa Bay Rays. I like the Rays pitching staff a lot as well. All right, Matt, it's been a real pleasure to have you on Baseball HQ Radio again. As I said at the outset, it's been way too long, and we're going to definitely have to have you back during the season as well. Look forward to it, Patrick. Matt Beagle is the official video blogger of Stratomatic, writes about Strato and other formats for BaseballHQ.com, and is a swell guy on top of it all. When we come back, our regular HQ commentaries, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, this is Ray Murphy, co-general manager of Baseball HQ, with this week's special offer exclusively for Baseball HQ Radio listeners. If you can't get enough of the great analysis from Patrick and the rest of the gang on Baseball HQ Radio, you're ready for a subscription to BaseballHQ.com. The insights you get on this podcast are just the tip of the iceberg. Come see everything else we have to offer, now at a special rate for Baseball HQ Radio listeners. Use the code RADIO5, that's R-A-D-I-O number 5, at checkout to take $5 off a draft prep or full season subscription to Baseball HQ. Give yourself everything you need to dominate your league in 2014. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Be sure to check BaseballHQ.com right now for these features. Jock Thompson has a free Keeper Leagues column about the changing landscape for position players. Ray Murphy's Speculator column is looking for the next Carlos Gomez. And Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ, is back with a look at notable injuries early in spring training. Plus, we have our regular analysis in playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, and much more. It's fantasy intelligence for winners at BaseballHQ.com. Time now for our Baseball HQ commentaries. We have Minor Leagues Analyst Rob Gordon on deck with the Minor League Minute. And leading off, it's the Metric Minute. And to tell us about dollar values, here's Analyst Ryan Bloomfield. In this week's Metric Minute, we'll discuss the all-important dollar values and how they can be applied for you in your draft prep. Dollar values give us a rough estimation for a player's overall worth based on the stats that he's projected to achieve. They are useful in terms of generating your player rankings for for draft prep and give you an idea for how much to pay for a player. There are four types of dollar value metrics on BaseballHQ.com. The most common that you'll see is rotisserie value. The metric is R followed by a dollar sign. Represents a player's value in a 12-team AL or NL only league, and that's a 4x4 league. 
There's also a 5x5 metric you'll see on BaseballHQ.com's player link pages. Represents that same value in a 5x5 AL or NL only league. Our projection files also contain 12-team and 15-team mixed league dollar values as well. The important thing here, though, is to not go solely off these dollar value metrics, as your specific league settings may drastically change these values. For that, you'll want to use BaseballHQ.com's custom draft guide. It lets you input your, your league parameters, things like your scoring system, the number of teams, various player evaluation methods, in order to get some closer estimations for your specific league. It's a great tool that many of our subscribers live by. Lastly, you want to make sure these values are roughly in line with your league history. There's always going to be differences in opinion about specific players, but in general you want to make sure these values indicate roughly how much a player would go for or what round he would go for in your specific league. After all, a $30 player is only a $30 player if someone in your league pays $30 for him. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield writes regularly for BaseballHQ.com and talks about various site metrics and how to use them every Tuesday here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's the Minor League Minute, and with a look at St. Louis second base prospect Colton Wong, here's Minor League's analyst Rob Gordon. With the start of spring training just around the corner, we take a look at one of the leading contenders for the National League Rookie of the Year award, the St. Louis Cardinals' Colton Wong. During the offseason, the Cardinals traded David Fries to the Angels and moved Matt Carpenter to third base just to make room for Wong. Last year, Wong struggled in his initial call-up for the Cardinals, going just 6-for-59 and making a costly base-running mistake in the World Series. Prior to that, however, Wong proved himself to be the top second-base prospect in the minors, hitting 303 with 10 home runs and 20 stolen bases for AAA Memphis. Wong has a mature approach at the plate and walked 41 times with just 60 strikeouts and 412 at-bats, so he has excellent plate discipline. He's also a slick defender and should be an upgrade over Matt Carpenter. The Cardinals also signed veteran Mark Ellis to serve as Wong's backup, so he'll have to get off to a quick start but the Cardinals have an excellent track record of breaking in prospects, and a full season of bats from Wong should have plenty of fantasy value. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Cole Begarapi, Chris Maloney, and Brent Hershey have reports and updates on the top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, Jeremy Deloney looks at the top third-base prospects in the game. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, March the 4th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 13 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I especially want to thank our featured guest expert on this Tuesday Touts edition, BaseballHQ.com Stratomatic expert Matt Beagle. Matt was our American League beat reporter for many years here at Baseball HQ Radio, and he always did a great job and did another one today. I also want to thank our other commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Analyst Ryan Bloomfield was our Metric Minute commentator, and Minor League's analyst Rob Gordon had the Minor League Minute. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Remember, you can also check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. Also feel free to follow my personal Twitter account 
That's at Patrick Davitt. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our News and Notes show featuring League Watch News reports, Todd Zola, and Master Notes. And next Tuesday, it'll be the author of the excellent Joe Sheehan Baseball Newsletter. It's Joe Sheehan coming up on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.